I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. And with us this week... Uh, Jonas Brothers Stan, Taylor Weatherby, <laughs> an associate editor. <laughs> That's the first part. I was going to say the that the part. title the is, yeah. the actual title, yeah. but the uh, important one today is Jonas Brothers Stan. All right. Uh, this week we're going deep on all things Jonas Brothers with their good friend, Taylor. Uh, so the new album, Happiness Begins, debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 this week, the biggest week of the year, 414,000 equivalent album units, according to Nielsen Music. So uh, we'll get into uh, whether we think that was a surprise or not, what the next singles uh, from the album should be, and what it's like to hang out with the Jonas Brothers as Taylor. You just did that recently for Billboard Cover Story. So it's sort of the behind the scenes of what it's like being I say being a fourth Jonas brother. There is a fourth Jonas <laughs> brother. There's, there's yeah, a, yeah. the sixth the jo- now because there's the fourth that's the real one, which is Frankie. And then they've called Ryan Tedder, who executive produced Happiness Begins, the fifth brother. So I'd be like the sixth brother, but then I'd, I'm also a the sister, sister instead. Yeah, but the then Jonas there's sister. There's already sisters because there's three wives now. So I guess I'm the fourth sister. I don't know. Somewhere in like the top. to think I'm somewhere in the family. Somewhere in the top ten. Uh, yeah, I somewhere guess. in the top ten. All right. So that's all coming up. Uh, plus, we have another special guest coming up. Uh, another trio, Runaway June. Our Nashville-based country chart manager, Jim Asker, hung out with them recently for chat and an exclusive performance of their current hit, Buy My Own Drinks, which uh, is actually making some pretty interesting news that we'll get to on the country airplay chart. So uh, that's all on the way. First up, as always, this week's top ten on the Billboard Hot 100. Ten, nine, eight. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Number ten. Look what you made me do. I'm with somebody. Ooh, baby, baby, I'm dancing with a stranger. Look what you made me do. I'm with somebody new. Ooh, baby, baby, I'm dancing with a stranger. Number nine. Ain't never got you know it being modest. Poppin' shipping only cause you know you poppin', yeah You got it, girl, you got it Ay. You got it, girl, you got it Number eight Huh? Packin' the mail, it's gone uh. She like I smell cologne, yeah I just signed a deal, I'm on Yeah, yeah 
I go where I want, good, good. Play if you want, let's do it. I'm a young CEO, sure. Yeah, yeah. Number seven. Then you're left in the dust. Unless I stuck by ya. You. You're a sunflower. I think your love will be too much. Or you'll be left in the dust. Number six. It's a moment when I show up, got I'm saying wow. Honey, bands in my pocket, it's on me. Yeah, your grandma more probably know me. Get more bottles, these bottles are lonely. Number five. Cause I don't care when I'm with my baby, yeah. All the bad things disappear. You're making me feel that maybe I am somebody. I can deal with the bad nights when I'm with my baby, yeah. Number four. I'm a sucker for Number three. Can we just talk? Can we just talk about where we're going before we get lost? Let me And number one. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back. Horse is attached. Right, you know what that sound is. There it is. Once again, brings out the countdown. That is the old town road. 11 weeks number one on the Hot 100. For Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus, that is five weeks away from the count on Sesame Street. That is five ha 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 weeks away from the all-time record. So I know the Lambs, the Justin Bieber fans, and I guess the Little Nas X fans. What the the the, the horses? The horses, I guess. <laughs> they're all uh, they're all they're all excited. So keep an eye on that race in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit right after this to. The Billboard 200 this week. Um, don't worry, we'll talk. We'll talk Drake. We'll talk Taylor Swift. Um, also, if you want to check out Drake getting another top ten this week, go to Billboard.com. The Hot 100 story that is up this week details the run that he has and tying the Beatles for the second most top tens after Madonna. There'll be a lot of talk about Drake next week with the two new songs that he's got out after the Raptors Championship. We'll also dive in next week to Taylor Swift. So don't worry, all those things will still be addressed. But we want to focus this week on a big, big milestone on the Billboard 200 for the Jonas Brothers, who are back with their new album, Happiness Begins, at number one this week and the biggest week for any album this year. So we want to dive into really how the Jonas Brothers are able to capitalize on the pop music trend of 2019 and really how they're back, some might say, bigger than ever. So we're going to bring in uh, Taylor, especially, who is our basically our Jonas Brothers correspondent. You could you could add that to our title of Billboard. Yeah. And we're going to dive into all things Joe Bros right now. We go together, better than birds of a feather, you and me. We change the weather. Yeah. I'm feeling heat in December when you found me. Again, we mentioned before 414,000 equivalent album units for Jonas Brothers. Happiness begins. Biggest week of the year. 
Were you surprised at that, Taylor? You know, I, I'm never surprised that people love them because I've loved them, but it's a very biased opinion. But I, I was pleasantly surprised. I wouldn't say I was shocked, but I was pleasantly surprised by the number. I knew they would debut at number one. I, I figured that the hype around them and the you music that about they've been the... putting out has been good enough to get them to number one. You weren't but... worried about like the future album or, or you know... So we've seen streaming do so much damage on the charts. You weren't worried about that at all? Nothing? No. Okay. <laughs> She's a, she just dismissed that with a wave of her hand. Yeah. Love it. No, I really wasn't. I just I could tell that that was the album that people were excited about this week. Um, but 414,000, like that's a, I mean, like you said, it's the biggest week of 2019. So that's clearly saying that that's a big week. But that's like a big deal these days, right? Like that's a big number for a 2019 metric topping what ariana grande did with thank you next so obviously we saw you know we know how big her q1 was and even to the tail end of last year um and i, I want to point out i mean i guess we should point out a lot of that was helped by uh ticket sale redemption offers for their tour that's upcoming but i mean the fact that that many people are eager to see them on tour not just you know not just checking out the album on streaming not even just buying the album but you know are sort of going in all on that next step and wanting to see them live i mean that you know, after a 10-year break, I mean, people are, are, are really ready to jump all the way back in in the fandom and see, you know, the classics and the new stuff live. But it was so shocking to me that they beat Ariana Grande because Pop is having a moment, but Ariana Grande is, like, having an even bigger moment. Right. And it just, I the fact that they beat her out was, that was the biggest shocker to me, I think. So, I guess for some people, and maybe I'm part of this camp, I guess I, I, I know that the Jonas Brothers were like a big deal in the early 2000s, but I guess I, I sort of missed, missed the jump off point to where they, where they could and would come back this, this strongly after such a long time. I guess I just didn't, I mean, they were never sort of the number one pop act when they were hot. So I, I, I'm, I'm, that disconnect was a little odd to me. What do you make of like how that decade sort of helped them come back in this way that is, you know, number one song, number one album, best performing album in a single week so far this year. What, how does that all come together to make them stronger on the comeback end than really they have been at any point? I honestly, it's, it blows my mind. And I, I can tell that they're being very genuine when they're posting all these videos, reacting to all of these accolades. And they're like, this is blowing our minds. It's, it's, I think it's probably surprising to the people who were, fans back then but I think it goes back to the passion behind that fandom like even though they might not have been the biggest act um, I think it was maybe because back then they had a lot of other competition I I feel like there's no one else out there right now that are doing what they're doing and back then feel good pop was kind of a thing like a really relevant thing and so and they were seen as – I think another thing is that they were teenagers and they were seen as such. And they had this, like, persona that was built around Disney and that was so, like, The, pu- the purity rings. Yeah, yeah, and the purity rings that really tainted them. If you Have you guys watched the documentary? I have not, but Their Amazon documentary point. dives into the embarrassment of the purity rings and how it tainted – their image and their ability to grow and all of that. And that was a big part of their like discussion that they had upon reuniting and how that really like messed with their heads and their career and stuff. But I think the kid friendly image kind of 
was a a detriment to their career back then and now it's obviously not and they're in their late 20s and they're all in relationships and one has a family and also at the same time (laughs) that goes with like sex appeal and people are really into everything that they've put out there that isn't kid friendly and it's a lot more of a universal appeal now and how do like the solo the, the, the solo careers yeah that while they were not the Jonas Brothers, Nick Jonas was, again, amping up his sex appeal, but also making music that was a little bit more appealing to a broader audience and a more mature audience and leaning more into like an R&B kind of sound than like a strictly pure pop and feel good pop kind of thing. And then Joe doing DNCE and showing his like goofier side and but like bringing in a little bit more of a a rock element to it uh, and having another group just kind of showing their like versatility, but also bringing in a bunch of other fan bases and then combining those fan bases with the Jonas Brothers, like super passionate fan base that was just kind of dormant. I think it all just kind of made it. I remember when I first <laughs> when I first heard Jealous. Uh, I guess back in like 2014, 15. And I remember like, before I heard it, I was like, oh, you know, let, people liking this Nick Jonas song. Let's check this out. And I remember hearing it. And then I remember texting a couple of my friends that I was like, has anybody heard the Nick Jonas song, Jealous? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, is it bad or weird if I like this song? And they were like, no, that song is awesome. That song slaps. I'm like, okay, good. Okay, okay, cool. So, so, I, so it's okay to like Nick Jonas. Okay, I'm good with that. Because that, that, second solo album and the time it was jealous and chains and Le- i think level's still so underrated so so underrated, underrated that for that era podcast in itself such Why a good song Nick jonas's levels is underrated but yeah i was like uh, so i, I get that because i was like i never would have thought that i liked them back in you know 07 but i was like okay i can this could be an entry point for me into the jonas brothers with with this solo stuff i think they were able to mature in their solo careers both in the public eye i mean i've talked a lot about how they matured on their own and became men and that helped their, their relationship as brothers but i think in the public eye they were able to do the maturing that they weren't able to do when disney and purity rings and being teenagers stunted their growth so i think that plays a lot into the success that they have now is that people kind of trusted that they were able to be something more than a kid-friendly band i keep using that adjective but it's that's i feel like if you were to pick one word to describe the jonas brothers in 2008 kid-friendly would be right up there you know, one descriptor. It's not one word, I guess, but yeah. one descriptor. Uh, it would just be that they were a band that appealed to a very young audience, but now they've managed to break that. And this album doesn't have this kind of debut if Sucker isn't the first single that it was. But at the same time, you you don't get a song to record uh, like Sucker if uh, someone like Ryan Tedder isn't interested. So it's sort of all kind of uh, – is a whole circle of people wanted the Jonas Brothers to come back. So this song became the first single. But it's also – it's a great song and that's really driving the album as well. Yeah. I, it's funny. I was actually in London last week and – I don't even remember how the Jonas Brothers came up, probably because I have them on a pop socket on my phone and I talk about the Jonas Brothers all the time. But beside the point, um, the one of the people I was with was like, yeah, 
that who is from Australia and now lives in London. Um, I was like, yeah, I never really heard much about the Jonas Brothers. Like I knew who they were, but it didn't seem like they had much of a fan base. But Sucker came out and everyone I know talks about it and it's huge. And so it's that kind of gave me a, an even newer perspective on the impact of Sucker because I knew it was a big hit and people here love it and have talked about it and obviously the number one debut and just the the radio charting and all of that proves that it's a big song but hearing the worldwide appeal especially compared to the fact that they weren't really a huge worldwide act maybe back then it like it's crazy how one song can kind of light the fire for what could come after that because i do think if they had chosen a different song for their comeback single it could have gone a different way yeah so so i'm guessing you've listened to the album more than once how many times have you listened to it if i had to guess i'm probably at like 10 in full but that does not count the amount of times i've listened to like individual songs like my favorite songs so so what are your favorites what do you pick for future singles well and and do they line up like do you do you do you think like your favorite songs are the ones that should be the singles or do you oh see okay i don't I think they're going to release Only Human as a single. I mean, I think... Doing the best on streaming It's doing the best on streaming. They played it on The Tonight Show, so they clearly love it themselves. And um, I went to an album listening two days before the album came out, and I'm pretty sure Only Human was the first song that they played for everyone. So it seems like they're really excited about that song. Um, Cool is still rising at top 40, so I think they've still got a little bit of time before they put out a third single. And I think... They'll perfectly time it. They, they've got this whole thing down. But, um, I mean, Only Human is a very catchy song, so I'm not going to be upset about it being the next single if that's the case. That's my pick. I think it's the obvious choice. Yeah, for the it next seems single. like it's the obvious choice. And I feel like nowadays with the streaming world, and if you release an album and it's millions of streams above any other album track, it's kind of just the fans are picking the next single. But,. My personal favorite is Don't Throw It Away. Uh, I heard it also at the listening. They didn't play the whole album, so, um, but they played it and the like beat drop before the chorus. It like dives into this massive chorus that's super anthemic and like it just like echoes and just hits you. And it just it was so striking the first time I heard it. And I have not felt anything different every time I've listened to it, which I mean, to me means a good song. But I also am not going to say that I am the person to say what a good song is. But Don't Throw It Away is my absolute favorite. Just the the powerful like echoing melody is super striking but also the lyrics are very relatable it's kind of like a 
we have a good thing going. Don't let it go. We yeah. can we can make this work. Yeah, there there seem to be some songs on there that sort of hint at we're back. We're the Jonas Brothers. Roller coaster sounds like that. And you never really heard that folky kind of sound from them before. That's yeah. on that song. And uh, I love that they have a song called Comeback. It's kind of these little clever. Uh, yeah, it's a comeback for us. A little wink. Yeah. 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 Oh, and they, I don't want to keep referencing this listening, but I, they also talked about comeback because they played it and they said, even though it's a love song, there's a little bit of our story in it. So that was very, very intentional. Yeah. Um, but Roller Coaster, they actually, I talked to Ryan for the cover story and it sounded like Roller Coaster was considered as a single or as the first single, like the, the, we're back and but it uh then i asked the brothers about it in our interview for the cover and they were like yeah it was just going to be too obvious like that was just going to be way too probably leaning back to the kind of i don't want to say kid friendly again leaning back into the kind of younger yeah way too feel good vibe that they had back then so but it's it's a song that the fandom is really resonating with and people are just like melting over the fact that they sung a song that is like, we're back together. Yeah. We've been through a lot, but we love each other. And the, the sound of the album too is it, it's not the, the crunchy guitars of uh, their stuff in the two thousands. It sounds like a very 2019 more synth pop album. Yeah. My brother texted me and he goes, I have to say the Jonas brothers album is a lot funkier than I expected. And yeah. When you have your 25-year-old brother text you something like that, no matter how much you like the Jonas Brothers, it's pretty funny because it just kind of goes to show the way that they're impacting people who might not have been super into them before. It's like Trevor with it. Is it okay if I like Jealous? The, yeah. the music's good. People are like, yeah. <laughs> But so it's funny that you mentioned that because I guess it it does elicit this idea that you know when you look at Ariana Grande especially like how nice for some of these artists when you know whether it's the record label or whatever sort of gets out of their way and they're they're able to do these sounds that that you can tell they've always kind of wanted to do and and for whatever reason been not allowed to. I mean you talk about your brother saying how funkier the album is and you that's probably something that I'm sure Nick and Especially, probably especially Nick, I guess, given his R&B leanings, has probably wanted to dive into that territory for longer than he probably would have been allowed to. And maybe even back in the late 2000s with the brothers. Same thing like I said with Ariana. You know, she just is kind of running her own lane and, and her own ship about when her album's going to come out and what's it, what's it going to sound like. And to even name drop, you know, her exes and all that kind of thing. It's just, I mean, how nice for the musicians who are able to get that you know in in the prime of their careers and not have all these regrets about it or whatnot and especially i guess if you're the label look look how successful it is when you get out of people's way let them experiment on their own and they trust them they know what good music sounds like sounds on this album too i mean every single time the first time i heard that it is like super reggae and i was like okay this is an interesting choice but when you hear it first of all it grew on me 
Yeah, that's a good song. That's it's a, a very song. good song. But it's just very, like, abrupt at first because it's, like, Jonas Brothers going reggae. But they worked it in a way that it works for their sound and their vibe. But then there's, like, another kind of love song called Love Her that's not quite as, like, a love bug thing. But, like, it's acoustic and it's a lot more tender and sweet. But um, I'm trying to think of the other tracks. Oh, um, the best title on the album is a song called Trust. Trust. Oh. Hey. oh. That gets my vote. Wonder why. <laughs> but that's also very, like, funky and really leans into Nick's falsetto and the more kind of R&B feel. Um, Happy When I'm Sad is like a – that feels – Oh, like an homage to their cheesier stuff, but at the same time, the lyrics are a lot more mature and like, I don't know, addressing mental health than some of the more mature things that you wouldn't really necessarily talk about in your teens. The snow That's that was another one that that sounded like a potential single. Yeah, too. it struck me right away. It's got another one of those like kind of anthemic choruses, uh, and the the verses aren't as anthemic, so it's like it it really strikes you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right. So uh, recently, you covered the Jonas Brothers. Was it your first cover story? It for was Billboard? my first cover story. Yay. Congratulations on that! Yeah, so, everybody gets to hear the album. You get to you get to hang out with the guys. Yeah. yeah. So, Funny enough, I didn't actually, full disclosure, didn't hear the album before interviewing the guys. I heard every single time. I believe, and obviously, sucker and cool. And those are the four songs I had heard before talking to them. But you weren't just going to be talking to them about the album. This is – you grew up a Jonas Brothers fan. Is this the first time you'd met them? No. I met them in 2009 – no, 2010 and uh, – was, like, was it like a meet and greet or was that a – So my best friend from high school, her uncle was Joe's bodyguard. My favorite Jonas Brother is Joe and my best friend's uncle happened to be his bodyguard. So long story short, he got us – uh, meet and greet passes for Chicago. I'm from Minneapolis, so we took a flight 
like it was like a 48 hour thing, maybe closer to like 36 hour thing. And like flew to Chicago, met them. Um, I'd made this shirt that has their old JB crest on it that I like traced and painted. And Kevin looked at my shirt and he was like, did you make that? And I was like, yeah. And, you know, being your first time meeting the Jonas Brothers, you're like freaking out and you're like gushing over the fact that they're pointing out the shirt you made because that's exactly why you wore it. Anyway, uh, and then Joe looks at me and he's just like, it's awesome. And I like melted. So I did not tell them that story. I told them that I met them and I showed them the picture. And they were, I am glad I showed them the picture because they thought it was very funny. But I definitely did not tell them the whole story. <laughs> so when the, the assignment came up of uh, someone's going to interview the Jonas Brothers for a cover story, I, I'm guessing it was, uh, I totally want to do that. And at the same time, was was the other half of you, oh my God, I'm terrified to do this. What if it, what if it all goes bad? So first of all, I didn't think that I would be the one to do it. I did not think I was ready for a cover story yet because I had just moved over to the print side, like for the magazine and just... I don't know. I didn't want to bank on my chances of that. But I also didn't think they were going to be a cover. But then the discussions happened right after Sucker went to number one and everybody here kind of realized they're a lot bigger than they might have seemed like they were when they initially announced this comeback. Um, And my editor looked at me and was like, we're going to do a cover with the Jonas Brothers and we think you should write it. And I felt like it was like a mix of jumping up and down with excitement and like a train hitting me at a thousand miles an hour. And I was like, I, what? (laughs) It was like, did that just actually come out of your mouth? But yeah, I, uh, I was excited. I think, I don't think there was any actual, there was like a little bit of fear just to, just in the fact that it was a cover story and I knew the pressure of that, but also three people that I am, you know, I have a mad love for, um, but I don't think there was any, like, hesitation because, like, I don't want to meet my idols or any of that. Um, it also probably helps that I had met them before, even though it was a very quick encounter. I think if that had been my first time ever meeting them, I think it kind of could have been a different story. Yeah. But literally could have been a different story. <laughs> so this may be more of a, like, a media insider question, but how do you sort of straddle that line between being – journalist, reporter, and, you know, massive fan at the same time? Well, luckily, I i mean, Jonas Brothers are, like, tip top of my list, but I have several artists that I am very excited about, and I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of them. Like, I met Justin Timberlake last year and Shania Twain last year, and I interviewed Shania over the phone, which is different than interviewing someone in person. But I've had to separate the the fan from the journalist a lot. It's a tricky thing, but I think also in the moment, knowing that you need to stay professional kind of helps you tame the the fangirl a little bit. There's always a little bit of fangirl that comes out. And frankly, for people who want to be journalists that are, uh, or music journalists specifically, that are fans of a lot of different artists and are worried about meeting their idols. I just let it out in the beginning. I'm like, if if I'm a big fan of them, 
I'm not going to hide it because the more that I try to conceal it, the more it's just going to creep out in probably weirder ways than if I were to just be straight up with them. Yeah. So, like, I met... <laughs> I, met I, I could just, like, picture, like, you know, Shania talking to somebody on the phone, like, yeah, you know, I've got, like, you know, 20 number ones or whatever, and Katayla's like, 22! You have 22! <laughs> like, something like, I could just see it. I, I was wearing <laughs> my Shania Twain shirt when I talked to her on the phone. I know. Did not tell her that, though. We heard you got dressed up to talk to Shania Twain on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't going to tell her that. I don't know why, but <laughs> I, I was about to sit down with Lady Antebellum a couple of years ago, and they're like the reason I'm into country music. And before we got started with the interview, I was like, I just have to tell you guys, you guys are the reason that I got into country music. You mean a lot to me. Your music means a lot to me. And I'm very excited about this opportunity. I like find a way to shape it so it's not like, oh, my God, I love you. Yeah. But I do like to be as upfront as possible because then I feel like, first of all, you kind of break down the barrier between being the journalist that's there to interview them and being someone who's genuinely interested in hearing what you have to say. So I think it's gone over well so far. But, I mean, it's there's always moments where, you know, if someone looks at you a certain way or says something that makes your heart flutter or something, especially when it's somebody like Joe Jonas – uh, you have to, real, you know, ring it back a little bit. But um, and when you're in the moment, when you're having the conversation, hopefully it just turns into a conversation. You're really listening to what they say, and then afterwards, uh, maybe you're like, "Wow, wow, I just had a whole conversation with the Jonas Brothers." Well, going off of that, you realize the longer you talk to somebody, they're just people, right? You know, it's like the once the initial facade wears off, where you like are looking the Jonas Brothers in the eye and you're like, I'm sitting in front of the Jonas Brothers. You're like, oh, I'm sitting with three people who have an interesting story to tell and we can have a good conversation about it. So I think, did that kind of answer your question in a very roundabout way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, no I, got, I got I got it. I like I like the approach that you kind of put out there on the table that, you know, like you said, like, like I'm a fan. I appreciate it. I want to get that out there, but... I'm not just going to sort of just, you know, be a, be a total fan. I want to get that part off of me. Now I can be in journalist mode. Yeah. Now, I, I guess in this part, a lot of that was talked about conversation and direct interviews. Um, so this was not a direct interview. This was really, you got to spend, you know, a long, long time with them. How, how many hours did you end up spending with them? So I was with them for on and off like nine hours, probably a total of, Probably a total of nine hours between the day I kind of shadowed them and then the next day we did the interview, a sit-down interview for an hour. So combined probably, I don't know, eight or nine hours. Um, and for those who don't follow me on Instagram, which is probably a ton of people who are listening on this, I'm from Minneapolis and their show that happened to work out for this story was in Minneapolis. So it was like, it was a very big deal for me to do this interview in my hometown. So anyway, um, it was at a venue downtown Minneapolis and we got there about two and I watched the sound check and then they had to go do like a fitting. So I wasn't with them for that period, but then went back to their hotel and sat in while they were getting their hair done, um, which is part of – that's like the opening anecdote in the story. And that was probably the craziest moment was being in a hotel room with the three Jonas Brothers, one of 
and like two of their team members, which was like their groomer and their publicist. Um, it was the six of us in a room. And at one point I was sharing a couch with Joe Jonas. And I've told people that the little like Lizzie McGuire version of me in my head was like, you're sharing a couch with Joe Jonas. What's going on? But on the outside, I was like, I pray that nothing is coming off on my face that I'm like that excited about what's happening right now. But it was nice because when I got to the venue for sound check right away, um, they made me feel like I was welcomed and it wasn't like I was a journalist that was there doing a job. It was like I was part of the thing that was happening that day, um, the, like the event. And Kevin was the first one I met and uh, I was with their publicist when I was introduced to him and she was like, this is Taylor. She'll be doing the billboard interview. And Kevin goes, oh, thanks for being here instead of being like, you know, great or right. nice to meet you. It's like, thanks. Thank you for being here. You and already like, feel very appreciated. Just yeah. Said anything mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. So that was really cool. And when I was in the hotel room with them, Nick was asking me how long I've been at Billboard. And I had told them that I was from Minneapolis. And so we kind of talked about being from there and – I am a golfer and they're into golf. So in the masters were the following weekend. So talked about that. And, you know, it was just very human conversation. And not just one sided where you're asking all the questions. It's yeah. actually, oh, we're just chatting. And it seemed like they were genuinely interested to kind of make me feel welcomed and be there, which was very nice and speaks to their character, too. Did you learn anything that you feel like you never knew before about them? Not just uh, facts, but just uh, how they interact with each other or with people and sort of just their personalities overall? Um, That's actually a very good question. I've clearly not talked too much about what I took away from this interview. Um, It's funny because I do feel like who I kind of read them as, like Nick is a little bit more of the serious type. And Joe is the goofball and Kevin's the really nice guy that, like, is going to be the one to initially make you feel welcome in the room. It's kind of – that kind of played out the way that I expected it to. I don't know that there was really anything crazy unexpected. I think what was really cool being a fan that got to do this story – was that I wasn't just interviewing them and hearing about how they were able to reconnect. I was able to see it. And Mm. you could feel that they were genuinely happy to be in the same room together. And one thing that was very interesting before I even met them was we got to the venue. I was with their publicist and we walked in and there were three separate dressing rooms for each guy. And she looked at the venue people and goes, this can't, this isn't going to work. They're going to want to be together. And so they swapped the big room that was for the band members into like, they put the band in like separate rooms. And then the Jonas Brothers were all in the same room together because that was what they were going to want. So they spend every waking second together and they clearly want to be, which was cool. So I think that was probably, I don't know if I would say it was unexpected, but I think it was, I don't know, I don't know if I want to say pleasant surprise, because again, it wasn't unexpected. Yeah, because you, I mean, you can sort of 
I guess, fake a 30-minute interview, and I'm sure a lot of celebrities have and do, but like you're saying, to get to get multiple hours over, I guess you were at maybe two locations over the course of the days. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't hide a persona like that, every, you know, for that long. So, I mean, yeah, to see like that they're actually as genuine as, as they're putting that message out there and this all seems real. I mean, the fact that you're able to, to, like you said, really witness it for yourself is, that's, I mean, I can just see so many Jonas fans like just almost wanting to like kill you because they're so jealous but that's like that's that's great for them really yeah and another thing I did a little like follow-up piece like a 10 things we learned just things that couldn't get put into the story was that the people that they have in their camp are mainly the same people who they had back in their like late 2000s so they are very good about the relationships that they like have made with people and several people that I was with that day kind of alluded to like once you're in this family like you're part of it and you don't want to leave it because it's so great and I mean they had just seen everybody in their band and their uh, like managers and stuff the night before at this Penn State bar that they had crashed that they blew up social media with and um, even when they saw each other, like not even 24 hours, they were hugging and acting like they had never, yeah. they had not seen each other for weeks. And so that was another very cool thing to kind of witness was that they really take their, the people in their, like on their team very yeah. seriously. And it's funny cause you don't think that they really like went away and their family. So it's like. Obviously, they were going to see each other over the years and stuff, but it does seem like the time that they had apart and just the growing up that they did with or without each other really positively impacted them. So you could really see that hanging out with them. So uh, writing the story afterwards, you meet with them, it all it all goes great. Then you like, oh, yeah, I, I have the work to do. So uh, what was it like putting together the story? And also once it comes out and you see them tweeting it, you see it on the cover, you see – or maybe you don't really see it, but people around the world are reading the story that you wrote. Suddenly, you're you're kind of the spokesperson for Jonas Brothers 2019. Uh, how does that hit you as, yeah, I guess I'm the one who, who put all this out there? Well, you can't see the hair flip on the podcast, but <laughs> I will take that uh, responsibility and run with it. Uh, I don't know if I would call myself a spokesperson. Uh, I also don't actively use Twitter, so I feel like I need to be on Twitter to be a spokesperson. But um, it was a whirlwind, I think, is kind of the only word I can think of looking back on the day that the cover story went out. Uh, first of all, the reactions I got and, like, the people I had reaching out to me, it was, like, a bigger day than my birthday. Yeah. So that was one thing. I mean, to be fair, you were walking around the office clutching the magazine all day. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, mean, I'm just telling it like, it like I saw it. How many copies do you have? Uh, I have a stack at my desk. <laughs> Probably, like, 10 or so. I don't know, 15. Whatever comes in a stack, yeah. but I feel like if we keep asking that, the number will keep going up. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I'm planning on framing it this weekend. Yeah. But um, no, it's just, I mean, I actually just tweeted this, which is funny because I don't use Twitter, but I it was so I felt so 
inclined to do this that I actually went out and tweeted. Um, when the album debuted at number one on Monday, I was like, I said something along the lines of like, the fact that I get to be a part of this reunion or whatever they want to call it, this return, um, in more ways than just being a fan watching it is still a concept that hasn't really settled in with me yet. I still feel like I'm a fan, but I get to write about it. I get to come on podcasts and talk about them. And frankly, I, at the album listening I went to a couple weeks ago, I saw them. I got to like, you know, say hi to them and like they gave me hugs and it felt like I was seeing old friends. And it's like, that is something that, I will, first of all, never take for granted, but second of all, is amazing, and I realize that it's something that there are so many people out there would kill for, so um, I will I will take the responsibility of being the spokesperson if, if that's what people see me as. But. I, I like the word uh, – I like that you use the word responsibility because ultimately you're, you're telling their story. It's, it's never – yeah, uh, ultimately about the journalist. It's about who you're covering, and really, I, I would think at, at at total core of all this, you you want to make sure that you're getting their story out there in the best way possible. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why my editor thought that it was actually a good move to put a fan on a story like this because you have heart in it, and you want to make sure you're telling the story the right way. Um, and frankly, that's kind of what Joe was saying. I told them at the end of our interview how much it meant to me that I got to do – not only got to do the cover story with them, but I got to do it in my hometown because that's where it all began. And Joe was like, it means a lot to us that a fan and someone like you that's, that knows our story got to do the interview. So it it, it was a – two-way thing or it was you know mutually felt so it was it's cool that there was trust on all fronts um and i think that's kind of the only way that this story would have been able to be told is somebody that's invested in it telling it that's a good lesson too for uh, as we're talking about up and coming uh, journalists kids who are in school thinking that yeah this is this is possible and hard work a uh, combination of hard work and and uh, being thorough and and uh, obviously knowing uh, the subject you're covering so i have to say for those who are listening who are aspiring journalists it's not just like super easy i sat down to write this story and was like oh my gosh uh I have a 2,000-word story to write from this interview, and I'm like still – my head's still up in the stars and still on the come down from what the heck just happened. And there was a definite period of writer's block. I definitely spent hours being like – you know, it's it's an in-your-head kind of thing where it's like on one hand, you are hearing your editors like – Where's the story? And, you know, thinking about them reacting to what you're writing. But then on the other hand, there's the Jonas Brothers in your head, like, hope you do us justice. And, you know, like. Were you kind of writing it in your head as certain parts went along? Uh, You'd hear something in an interview and think, oh, that maybe that's a good part of the lead. You kind of maybe it's not sitting down to write it from scratch. You kind of build an idea of the story as it goes along. You're talking about like when I was actually with them, right? Yeah. 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 
in the interview portion, there were parts that I was like, I know that when I read this on the transcript, I'll remember being like, yes, that's a thing to definitely put in the story. But when I was hanging out with them to just get a feel for how they interact and stuff, I was taking notes every now and then, but really just tried to engross myself in what they were all about and how they were talking to each other and what they were saying and there were a couple points where I like definitely wrote down stuff and as you'll see in the beginning of the story like there's an anecdote that I wouldn't have gotten if I hadn't been paying attention and writing down stuff but I tried to be as like I don't know just in the moment as possible on that and then think a little bit more journalistically when they were actually talking to me for the interview um, I will say when I was talking to Ryan Tedder, um, he mentioned uh, – this is in the story too, but he mentioned that when he wrote Sucker with Lewis Bell and Frank Dukes, <laughs> I think it was Lewis that said, wouldn't it be awesome if the Jonas Brothers reunited? Because <laughs> that they had not reunited at that point. Right. Um, and when Ryan told me that, I was like, that is gold. That is definitely something I need to use in the story. But as far as them, I was trying to be as, like, in it as possible. All right. Well, you've got uh, more listenings to do of the new album, so I'll let you go. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much. This is just really cool to hear uh, how the story came together. And it's a, it's a great story. It's on Billboard.com. You can buy the issue if Taylor hasn't taken all of them. Uh, there are still some probably available in the Billboard store on Billboard.com. But uh, yeah, congratulations, Taylor. It's a great story. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, for the rest of the podcast, we're turning things over to Runaway June. Uh, again, they're in the top 20 of the country airplay chart up to number 19 this week with Buy My Own Drinks, which is a pretty notable song. Uh, first top 20 hit on the chart for an all-female group since 2005. So 14 years between all-female groups getting top 20 hits on Billboard's country airplay chart. But they're the ones who did it. So uh, Runaway June, three members, Naomi Cook, Hannah Mulholland, and Jennifer Wayne. They're going to chat about their rise, uh, performing on Carrie Underwood's Cry Pretty 360 tour, which uh, just began and it runs all the way through Halloween night. Uh, actually, they're going to talk about that. Uh, going to get into uh, the lack of women in country. Uh, we've talked about that on the podcast. They have some pretty uh, strong opinions. You're going to hear about uh, what some of those causes might be for that. So they're going to uh, talk about all that and perform an exclusive version of Buy My Own Drinks uh, just for the podcast here. Coming up uh, with our own Jim Asker. This was recorded in Nashville. Jim's our country chart manager. So uh, it's great for uh, Jim to sit down, chat with Runaway June, who will uh, perform. Taking us out here for the rest of this week's Billboard Sharpie podcast. Maybe I'll be fast as you. Hey everybody, this is Jim Asker on the Billboard Chart Beat Podcast, and with me today, Runaway Jim. Hello. Hello, Hello folks. Hi. Can we do a quick roll call so everybody knows your names <laughs> and what your voices sound like so when we go back and forth? Yeah, I'm Hannah. This is Naomi. And I'm Jennifer. Hannah. You're from Malibu? I am from Malibu. The street name, the road name, Mulholland Drive. Uh-huh. What does that have to do? And you probably get asked this question like every other day, well, right? Well, it's a, it's a, apparently, it's a little far back, but apparently he's like a great, 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 great uncle kind of thing. So apparently the lineage is there, but uh, we don't, 
we didn't really benefit from that. And if I'm in Northern California, I make sure to say there's no relation because everyone in Northern California hates the Mulhollands because he For stole the all the water from them. So yeah. <laughs> depends who's asking. Interesting. <laughs> Two of you are from California. Jennifer, you're from California. Yeah, I am. And Naomi, you're from Florida. Yeah. So you're all from sunny places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. nice. And do you all live here in Nashville now? We do. We do. We're, in we're never speaking. here, but our our homes are here. Yeah. Yeah. We, we may live on our tour bus, but yeah. I so appreciate you taking time because you're smack in the middle of the uh, Cry Pretty tour with Carrie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's her yeah. name? Uh, Carrie Underwood. Underwood. <laughs> you might have heard of her. And Maddie and Tay, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and how's that, how's that going? It's going great. We're, no, you've we're done just how many dates now? 18, I think, with mm-hmm. her. Um, so we just finished kind of like the first month, the month of May come here for CMA Fest, and then we go back out for the full month of June. So we're kind of smack dab in the in the middle of the first leg. Is it all U.S. dates right now? And or? Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you did the C to C. How did that go in, in that England? That was unbelievable. We've never played. We've, we've been over there writing, but we've never actually played a show. Oh. And people kind of told us, you know, this is a listening crowd. and But we just had no idea what to expect. And Every show that we played was packed. People showed up. They listened to the music. They were just, uh, they were singing all of yeah. our lyrics to songs that aren't even out yet. It was just crazy. It was, it was a great surprise. Amazing. And I, I'm always sure their audiences are very polite. Are they responsive too? Yes. They are polite during your performance. They're very quiet. They're listening. They're watching. And then after the last note rings out, it's an eruption. Yeah. It's really a great experience. Congratulations on the single doing so well. I do the charts oh, at Billboard. Thank you. Uh, country chart. So I have the hey. pleasure of watching your song oh, every week. I feel Thanks. like I'm guarding it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm at the point now where I don't need to guard it anymore because Aww. it's like, um, I want to tell you that I uh, got to write some of the um, Power 100 profiles and I got to do, I'm an ex-radio guy, so I, I picked radio people that I got to write their profiles for our top one, our power players edition. And um, I asked them each what's, what's okay. So what's breaking through for you right now? Uh-huh. Uh, unsolicited. Two of the three said runaway Joe. Oh my wow. God. No way. Um, one That's was Tim so Roberts. Oh who, my God. Uh, we love Tim. God, he's been a champion of us from the very beginning. He's mm-hmm. like he's one of really the all time great guys. Yeah, he really is. Um, I knew him when he was programming in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Oh my God. Wow. So, really wow. smart guy too. Really smart. Uh, yeah. He's really, he's been very honest with us and really kind of stayed in our corner mm-hmm. and uh, encouraged us when we were low. He's awesome. But really, really have great. you heard that? Your song's like on the verge of top 20 now. You know yeah. that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Do you watch well, the you charts? Well, you know what's funny? Oh, yeah. On yeah. Um, WYCD, they have like a top Detroit. nine, top five at nine. And so they'll always tweet it out. And our song at one of the nights was number one. And I, I texted Tim. I'm like, I've never seen our name in a number one Next position number one. before. <laughs> yeah. and it was just like the coolest Oh, that thing. is so great. I know. And really cool. um, we're talking about the single, of course. I don't even know if we named the title. Buy My, Buy my Own Drink. Such yeah. a great song. Thank um, you. Who Thank wrote you. the song? <clears throat> Us three girls. With Hillary Lindsay and Josh Keir. And I saw that written by Runaway June. So all three of you had a hand in, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. in writing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have yeah. a new album coming out June 28th. 
Yeah, we do finally. It's gonna be very exciting. <laughs> it's very, very exciting. We've been working on this album for a long time. We've been writing for the record for about four years since the genesis of the band. We've been writing, and a little bit before that, actually. Um, but the album has been being recorded for over two years now. So it's wow. really, really exciting that we're getting it out, and it's finally concise. And we've got these the songs that we feel like nothing else could beat right now for this story, and. Um, it's very, very exciting. It's a moment. How many tracks are on the album? Ten. I know you do the uh, the Dwight Yoakam song, Fast As You, in concert. Mm-hmm. So you decided to give that studio treatment mm-hmm. and put it on the record. It's a great version. Someone Thank let you. us do it, Thank which you. is surprising. We were like, threw the idea out. We're like, we really what? want to cut that. And we thought for sure. Everyone was going to be like, no way. And they were like, okay. <laughs> so you, we you took advantage of it. crazy, too. What, what made you Huff? want to record it? that well we've we've been playing it for a couple years and we have so much fun playing it live it's it's probably our favorite moment in the set our band loves it and we almost like i feel like it's our own now because we've become such a part of who we are yeah and uh when we when we told dan half that we wanted to cut it he was like that's really interesting he goes that really scares me because i don't want to mess it up but he's like but that excites me yeah (laughs) because it's such an iconic song yeah yeah but there will be a lot of listeners um, who get to hear it, who might not be familiar with the original. Yeah. And I love right. it when you rediscover music that younger people might not be mm-hmm. aware of, go back and hear the original too. Mm-hmm. They're right. both great versions of the song. Yeah. Is there a chance that that would be a single? I hope so. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think there's always a chance. Well, I picked know? the next one. <laughs> and Jay agrees it would with certainly me. Be what's, fun the next, what's your pick? I am too. I am too. I am too many drinks and not to want to call you up. I got too many memories, but not enough. Are you sitting somewhere tonight? Trying not to think about us. I am too oh, drunk. I am too. We love that part, favorite. Yeah. This is a compliment, so don't let it come off it. like it's not a compliment. But, um, you know, I think this would album, when people listen to it, if they take the time to listen to the whole album, would take away any misconceptions like, oh, these are three good-looking chicks who are going to do flirty music. I mean, it is a great, <laughs> great Thank record. Thank you so Thank much. You. That's, uh, a, that's, that's a, big, a big compliment. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I was a huge Dixie Chicks fan. I was programming in New York when they did the three-night stand at Radio City. Um, and I'm just glad wow. to see this sound. Not, not that it's a copycat with the chicks, but it has that depth. Thank you. Thank you. That's actually a big reason of why, like even going back to Fast as You, because it's kind of such a little capsule of our live show, because I think it is really hard if you only see pictures of people and you don't have any idea really what they do. And we wanted to let people know it's like, we kind of like to rock out on stage and we like to throw it back and we like to have fun with our band. And, you know, um, I think that that was kind of like a big reason is because we wanted people to really have an idea of the picture of the kind of music we're actually into. You know what I mean? Can you each just describe the album really quick for a fan who's going to pick it up and listen to it, what you are hoping for fans to get from this record? I'm talking about the album. Yeah, I would say say that the album is very honest. Um, All three of us, you know, we've been writing together for four or five years for the project. um, And we just it's it's based a lot on life experiences. And we've we've all grown together and and we're not afraid to show you the ugly parts. You know, it's not all perfect. And um, that's kind of like the song I am, too. It's very honest. And I feel like that's 
helpful when someone else is in that same position to know that they're not going through it alone, that other people have been there before and knowing that it's okay, you're going to get through it. Mm. And I think for me, like that's the most important thing is the honesty. Thanks, Jennifer. Naomi? Yeah. I think the um, the album is a, a peek into what we've been up to. Mm. <laughs> you know? and two year, um, for the last two years. Yeah, yeah, really for the last four years. I mean, there's songs on there that we wrote four years ago, but... Um, I, I like Jen was saying, you know, we write a lot coming from our own life experiences and there's just been a lot that we've we've been living in kind of the fast lane on the road and um all of us have been through relationships and um you know, lost loved ones and so there's there's um the stories that have come from that are on this record in a in a really uh, in a in a cool way, and, I, and like Jen said, we're not we're not shy about. It. I mean, a lot of these songs don't have happy endings. There's not always a happy right. ending, and we're still, you know, in the process of a lot of these stories. And um, it gives it'll it'll give, give the fans a a ticket to a, a show of kind of our lives. Well, thank like you inside. for using uh, <laughs> from an old guy who grew up on rock and roll, using real instruments, yeah, oh, and thanks. real drums. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really. Yeah, um, sonically, okay. it's a lot. It's a it's there's a live band on all of it. It's not a lot of uh, synthetic sounds, no. um, tracks, you know, anything like that. It's really what our live show sounds like. Like Hannah said, it's really Han- close. Hannah, would you describe what you think? Yeah, that's kind of what I was gonna say. It's like we really wanted it to have an organic feel. So even though it's modern, and Dan Huff is so good at that of kind of modernizing stuff, but um, it still is a live band. You know, we're not in there doing the vocals a million times, a million different ways. It's like we really want it to feel organic, and I think that's a big thing of our sound. That's a big thing we like to do in our show. It's just very kind of band oriented. So I think that the record like Dan did such a great job of reflecting that and still making it clean and modern, but it still really is a live band in the room together playing off of each other. You Was know, it a good collaboration working with Dan Huff? Really He's good. just the best there All is. Feeding oh, off each other. He's yeah. the best. Man, yeah, just watching him work, being just being in the studio with him and someone that successful and that great and that humble um, is really like an experience. Humble. He's so humble. He's so collaborative. He really the the musicians that he hires to make the music really trust them. Um, he's not you know someone of his caliber. He's not at all like I know the best. Like you, he asks for um, you know opinions from these players, and it's just really really great. He's really brought us up. Did as he artists. do your EP? Oh, yeah. the song, mm-hmm. songs in your yeah. EP. So you've been working together for a while then. We have. Yeah. yeah. What was it like just going back uh, the first time you all played together as? The f- very f- can you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I remember, yeah, the, very I remember the very time. first time yeah. too. You go because well, we <laughs> formed uh, really in the writers' room. That's how we became a band. We started writing songs together. Were, and were you apart from you were with Stealing Angels? No, this is um, way past that. I was just a songwriter. This is a- way after that. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, years after, and I was just a songwriter. And Hannah and I had known each other for a long time, and we we'd written a couple times and. Um, Naomi and I got introduced to and we just got on a kick I mean right away it was like an instant connection with her and I um, and then I said I have, th- I have this girl Hannah she's amazing I, I want to see what it what it's like and so when we uh, us three got in the room together that's kind of when the real magic happened and it was like we just all started singing at the parts where we naturally sing we didn't even talk about like who's singing lead who's singing what we just all started singing there and it was 
The minute we hit that chord together, it was like, oh, this is something yeah. special. It sounded but then, like, like funnily, I guess the first time we ever, like, like, performed in front of anybody was at our friend's lake house. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I and was we thinking, were, like, our first, like, show. But that but was our real time, first time that we were like, like yeah. we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if people are going to like it. Like, we don't know. Garth Brooks manager and, heard us sing together yeah. for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were at his house for, like, a barbecue or something. Uh, and Randy Yeah. Yeah. So Bob and Randy. But we were at Randy's house, and uh, and there were just like some friends over and stuff, and it, we just kind of like worked it up in one of the rooms. Yeah. We like went back, and we just kind of like worked up a song. We're like, we're gonna give it a try, and we played probably like three songs for just like everybody at this party. <laughs> Do you think yeah. that um, we'll get to a point where people won't say, "Here's the all female trio, Runaway June." Um, mm. You know, you don't hear people saying, "Here's the three guy trio." Mid-wind. Yeah, right, um, right. It's true. Yeah. Do you do you think? This is the hottest topic right now. You can't get around it. I mean, I'm the one who wrote the story that there were no women in the top 20 for the first time in the history of the chart. I remember reading that. Um, It's so spooky. And and thumbing through, you know, week after week for the research going back. And I'm thinking surely there was one week in the 60s or something where the airplane chart we based it on, which was launched in 1990. But that's a long, it's almost you know, 30 years now. And, you know, so of course it's, it's the discussion and, um, thank you for, for talking about it and writing about it because that's important. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if, um, I, I really believe as a former programmer that when a programmer say like Tim or, you know, Tim Roberts, we mentioned before, so I'll use him as an example. And, and I know because he told me this when when I was writing one of these stories. Um, Jim, you know, I don't look at it as whether it's a male-female group, duo, trio. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I just want to play the best music. That's what everyone um, needs to do. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's so simple. It's as simple as that. Like, right. That's all that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And for every, but we got into the bro country thing where I think a lot of the record labels and uh, another great programmer, I'll, I'll dr- name drop Johnny Chang, who's yeah. a friend of mine. Um, and he said w- when I asked him that a lot of labels were looking for those kinds of acts at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, um, and I'm not schmoozing that, you know, at the time, you know, you couldn't pick some of these guys out of a lineup. Yeah. And, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. where yeah. the women have more um, distinctive sounds in their own mm-hmm. in their own music. So, mm-hmm. uh, what do you guys think? I, you know, I don't. Well, I think that that kind of became a trend. You know, the bro country music, and and it's it's great in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. it was a cool, different thing, and it opened up country music to a whole new audience, and um, and it kind of became this trend of like that's what people wanted to hear and then I kind of think it started going back to you know we want a variety again and like we want to hear John Party sing traditional country music in Midland and we want to hear women and I think it like kind of started going back to that and then all of a sudden halted and it's like I don't know if people are scared to play more women or scared to play something more country because the bro country thing was working for so long but I think that there's room for everyone and all music all types of music so mm-hmm. that's kind of how I feel about it it's like yeah bro country is awesome I love a lot of those songs but right. I love John Party too you, need you know? variety it's like you have yeah. to have people step out kind of like what we were just talking about like with Tim or, or Johnny or whoever it's like 
you have to, because so many people and a lot of the program directors too, it's like they think it's a problem. They're like, I wish that we had more women on the playlist and, you know, that there were more women being signed or more women on bills at festivals. And it's kind of like, well, we can wish all day long, but really it's like the gatekeepers to this stuff. It's like, all you have to do is just take a chance, you know what I mean? And just start playing more females. And the more familiar that gets again, the more people will then start wanting to hear that and requesting. Because right now it's been so long, it's like unfamiliar. So I think that that's why it's like, you know, people are scared to to change it up because it's just been so long you know I think too like we hear um radio is getting blamed a lot for this like, I was just saying no that this morning at a voices. meeting that they, and they're the like, scapegoat a lot yeah, yeah it's like the scapegoat and everyone's like you know blaming radio but it's like a lot of these labels are to blame for not really giving them and signing these women and signing them uh signing and giving and Setting giving music success, yeah it's yeah. like I think that when when the quote bro country thing came through, like Jen was saying, it's so cool because it really did open up. Uh, people were listening to music. You know, Cruise Cruise was like on top of the chart, and it was really at a time where streaming became a big thing. The singles game was coming into play at labels. They were really selling singles, and it became really lucrative. And so they were just kind of signing act after act that mm-hmm. were making that kind of a thing. And in the meantime, lost another side of the story that people really yearn for and 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 especially in a country audience they like to hear you know about real life and i think women were still writing and singing those types of songs and labels were kind of like oh we're going for the quick cash and before we know it we're kind of in a mess Mm -hmm. and radio's being blamed i think there's a lot of parties involved here it's not just radio because we've gotten a lot of support from radio we've had i mean we're in the top 20 we're, we're approaching the top 20 because of our support from radio. Uh, and and just knowing from being in radio, it's a partnership. You're totally, looking yeah. for artists to partner with that are going to be around for a yeah. long time. Um, yeah. Which and- is, yeah. You saying that, I'm like, oh my God, if they're supporting us, what a compliment. Like, they think we're going to be around. We're like, that's so cool. <laughs> and there's that's also like to your if, album, so. Yeah. yeah and if, you. like, there's radio um, people that are, you know, maybe a little hesitant on playing someone, it's like, it's it's the label's job for that female artist to, like, go ahead and convince them to keep playing her and push her. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, like, more people involved here. And, and, and just concert radio. promoters and bills. It, it, exactly. Like, putting people on festivals, getting girls on yep. tours. Like, they're we're stuck so on this, like, radio conversation. Uh, I, there's a bigger conversation. I think that people here when i was in uh, out in different markets i would think that nashville's in a bubble totally. yeah, oh, totally. yeah. and you know come on out here and talk to these listeners because this yeah. is you know talk to the voters you yeah. know what i mean yeah. like this is yeah. what my job as a programmer i'm trying to keep these people's jobs i'm trying to get ratings and and really it's your listeners that you're talking to and then so when i feel like a lot of people in nashville in the bubble just want to blame radio you know, that, that's yeah. an easy target. And then we're told there's been this perpetuated, um, uh, just no unfactual lie that women don't want to hear women, that women don't buy women. And it's like, if you go, if you just flip over to your pop station, it's predominantly women. You have, you know, Ariana Grande headlining Coachella, Casey Musgraves headlining Coachella. These are, these are, that's not because people aren't buying their music, you know what I mean? It's like this weird. It's just not even b- backed up by facts. It's we're just seeing we're, we're, we're on seeing the carry it tour. It's like all women that come tour. to the show. I don't want to yeah. give away, you know, how long I've been doing this, but <laughs> but my first programmer job, I was 24, and a consultant told me you don't have two female jocks on the air back to back, and you don't play two female songs back to back. Crazy. This was a long time ago i mean not that long ago but it was a it was good and i said 
That's really interesting you say that because I've never heard a real person say that. That they don't <laughs> like hearing two songs <laughs> back funny. to back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that was really my the start of a um you know my minor league career in radio i was just gonna do what i wanted to do <laughs> anyway. like, i'm calling your bluff <laughs> i like that it is funny though i was listening to the radio like a couple nights ago and um and i turned on the radio and we were on and i was like oh that's awesome and i'm like listening whatever and then immediately after it was a lady in a bellum song but one that hillary was singing you know how they mm-hmm. kind of trade off so it was all hillary and immediately i had the thought i was like whoa like i haven't heard that in a while of like you know a female and then another female voice coming straight in and, and then i thought i was like what a weird thing to notice because otherwise it's just guy after guy after guy but it was like i totally noticed that it was two female voices two songs in a row on the radio and i was like wow that's kind of like they're being risky they're being bold you know i was like that's cool and i don't want to turn this into a radio seminar but they would also you know say um you have to play a lot of up-tempo music and and i'd be like you know i I think that's bullcrap you play the best music (laughs) especially you know it would always be especially if you're coming out of a commercial set you know, play an up-tempo record, and I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to play The Dance by Garth Brooks coming out of commercials. I'm going to play something upbeat by, say, you know, whoever. Um, You'd play the best songs. Yeah, totally. Um, So, anyway, I want to ask you that you mentioned Coachella. Mm. Did you do Buy My Own Drinks? Was it the first time you did it at Stagecoach? Uh Yeah. 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 That's actually really how it became a single, because... We had just worked it up, and it was the first time that we had ever played it. And we were just we got like a week before, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. and we got such a huge reaction. People were singing it back by the second chorus that all of us were kind of like, "Whoa, did that really happen?" We barely knew it. And (laughs) and the lucky thing for us was we had another show that same day at Stagecoach on a side stage, and a few of our label people were there, and they saw both shows. And by the time we sang on that second stage. They were singing every single word after just hearing it one time. How many? And it's how many people at? It's oh a huge. Oh my gosh! Like eighty thousand people are co- go to stage. Coach. That had to be and just an amazing affirmation, right? About yeah, well, yeah, but it was, it was so funny because we and, always think like we're like, oh, our song is a hit, you know, and we go back to the label that we're like. They love it. The people love it. And our label's like, yeah, right. Everyone, all the artists think their songs are hits, but our label was actually there and they saw the reaction. So they, you know, got to come back and say, no, actually people were reacting to the song. It was good. That's so nice. Yeah. Well, congratulations. You made a great album. Thank you so much. I I know I'd love to talk to you all day, but um, we're recording this on the day of the CMT Awards. (laughs) We're playing that tonight. For those who can't see, we're in like kind of pajamas downstairs and then full award show ready on the top. (laughs) It's a funny sight right now. (laughs) Jay, the director of publicity at Broken Bow, put us in a gulag. It's like 150 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jay. I've been hot in here. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Jay's great. so, will you play one for us? Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Yeah. We're talking with Runaway June. Their album Blue Rose is coming out June 28th. Um, and you guys, I haven't mentioned your label, but you're on a great label, Broken Bow Records. And um, which imprint are you on? Uh, Wheelhouse. That's right, Wheelhouse. And they've been really supportive, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Our our radio fighters promo people man. are promo in the people trenches are with us, fighting at. so hard. We love them. We're all like, we, we feel like they're family. And we you already know, told our promo team, if we get a number one, we're going to the Bahamas. We're taking them all to the Bahamas. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Would, would so you we play tennis with me if you go to number one? I uh, will, for sure. <laughs> totally. I will. Jennifer Deal. was a pro tennis player. I played in high school. Oh, you did? Oh, so you're a player. I was a hacker, so. No, that's awesome. Um, but I just want to congratulate you again on the record. Congratulations on the ACM, Academy of Country Music nomination. Thank you. Love to see you Thank win you. one of these things. 
Um, CMA Awards are coming up, and you're going to stay on the Carrie tour, the Carrie Underwood Cry Pretty tour for how mm-hmm. long? Much longer, about 20 more dates? Halloween. All the way through October. Halloween. Mm-hmm. Halloween's yeah. our last show. Halloween yeah. is the last show, I think show, we have huh? like Just the, um, 40, costumes. 40 about 40 more shows. I got to see the Dixie Chicks um, do their home album. They did it start to finish at the Ryman. Oh, oh my gosh, man. how cool is that? Were you there, Jay, by chance? It was unbelievable. Oh, God, we and love the I could chicks. see, like, your album being done like that. So oh, thank you. That would be really cool. We need to carry around in our pocket. I'm telling you um, that. I, I, uh, thank I'm you. up for a job. <laughs> <laughs> pocket job. <laughs> Just kidding. Pocket company. Uh, yeah. yeah. We um, can't afford you yet. <laughs> so thank you for playing a song for us. What song are you going to play? I think we'll do the single. Let's do Buy My Own Drink. See, awesome a little song. push to top 20. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. This is Jim Asker on the Chartbeat Podcast. And here is Runaway June and Buy My Own Drinks. Trying to unfall apart And I've been thinking that some neon Might to be a real good start Well, I called a couple friends But they all say they're staying in So I guess I'm going out on my own I might be heartbroken But that doesn't mean I gotta stay home I can buy my own drinks And I can pay my own tab and at the end of the night when they cut on all the lies I can call my own cab I can drop my own change in the jukebox I can dance all by myself Till I can stop thinking about drinking about him I don't need nobody else Yeah, I can buy my own drink Tonight, tonight, tonight Found myself a dive, the type that he would never walk in. And then a guy at the bar sees an empty drink in my hand. Yeah, I said it's sweet of you to ask if you can fill my glass, but I'm gonna have to pass this time. It's me and myself, well, yeah, we're doing just fine. I can buy my own drinks, and I can pay my own tab. They cut on all the lies I can call my own care I can drop my own change in the jukebox I can dance all by myself Till I can stop thinking about drinking about him I don't need nobody else Yeah, I can buy my own drink Tonight, tonight To the front door I can take my own self to bed I can medicate my own headache Hell, I can be my own boyfriend And I can buy my own drinks And I can pay my own tab And at the end of the night When they cut on all the lights I can call my own cab Oh, I can drop my own change in the jukebox I can dance all by myself Till I can stop thinking about drinking about him I don't need nobody else Yeah, I can buy my own drink Tonight, tonight, tonight Yeah, I can buy my own drink 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 